1: It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Usman's not looking great, in all honesty. He's done a couple of hammies before and and said it, it feels a little bit similar to that. So, Marcus... He's, he's just a bit sore on his side and, and not we'll, we'll have to wait for scans tomorrow.
0: That was Aaron Finch speaking after Australia's defeat to South Africa. And I cannot believe Langer and the Australian Brains Trust did not rule out Marcus Stoinis two weeks ago when he originally did his side, a massive oversight by the Australian Brains Trust. Of course, this is the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host Andrew Mensel. Joining me back from a bit of a paternity leave is Ben Horn. Ben, welcome back.
2: Thanks for having me, Manus. Good to be back.
0: Yeah, great to have you back. And our resident pommy, Steve Wilson. Steve, how are you?
1: I'm very well, thanks, Manis. Thanks for having me.
0: Great to have you back. Yeah, look, I'm going to throw this to you, Horn. Every fast bowler says when you do a side strain, you're out for a few weeks. What on earth was Langer and Co thinking in not bringing Mitch Marsh straight away two weeks ago? So, Australia's going to go into a semi final against England with maybe two players who haven't played a game in the World Cup and they've carried Stoyness for two weeks for nothing.
2: Well, I guess it looks that way now. Um, I mean, I sort of agree with you that I think Mitchell Marsh would have strengthened the squad, but. I mean, it's not so simple as that. You can't just throw someone out. You're deciding that they're not fit, if they are. I mean, I don't know what the results were of those original scans, but they've invested a couple of years in Stoinis as the all-rounder. Mitchell Marsh hasn't even played in the last two one-day series. So, I mean, you've got to also consider the you know, the rights of the, the player. I mean, Marcus Stoinis deserved his place in the squad, and if he's fit, then... Why should he be ruled out? He
0: wasn't fit. That's the problem. And I think every fast bowler went on record and said his side wasn't, his sides take a while to get better and takes a while to get back into your bowling. So thinking they could carry him through a World Cup and manage his fitness was folly. Has he missed – how many games has he played since he came back? He played two and he's bowled like three or four overs in those two games and hasn't looked at all fit. Even he was said a couple of days ago that you know he's carrying pain and if it wasn't a World Cup, he probably wouldn't be playing.
2: Yeah, look, it's – yeah, I understand where you're coming from, but, I get emotional Mitchell, Marsh, World Cup times. but Mitchell Marsh hasn't played – you know, for Australia for some time. So exactly,
0: he could have had two games to get mm. ready for the semi-final. They mm. cocked it up. Yeah,
1: hindsight's twenty twenty, isn't it? I mean, it's, I said it's, it, it it's, at the
0: time, Steve.
1: Okay, um, yeah. For us as sort of non-medical people, you you, you see this and you, you you it was amazing to see him come back so quickly. But when he first came back, he did look fit initially. Obviously, it hasn't worked out, and they've taken a punt, and it's and it's not worked. But um, Marsh is going to come in. He, he's he's played in big games before. Maybe the the form of not having played a lot of one day cricket recently could go against him. But it, he's not going to be overawed by the by the occasion or the situation. So I wouldn't worry too much on that score.
2: Yeah, it hasn't cost them a match yet. I mean, it's not ideal to have a couple of players coming in cold for a semi-final, but, um, you know, it didn't cost... That's not what cost them the game against South Africa. So, yeah, look, I mean, I I sort of understand... I agree in hindsight that the squad would have been much better off if if Mitchell Marsh had come in at that point, but it's not fair on Stoinis to rule him out if 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 he can get on the
0: field. A lot has happened since the last podcast. So, yeah, Marcus Stoinis is all but ruled out, hasn't officially been ruled out. Usman Khawaja has been officially ruled out of the tournament. And in came Matt Wade, uh, which is such a great, great reward for a year of stellar form from Wade. So Khawaja now would have to say he's in doubt for the Ashes. They're saying this um, strain could be three or four weeks. I think the first Ashes test starts on August 1st. So Australia could be looking for a new number three.
1: They could well be. I mean, Langer's putting a kind of positive spin on it. They, they You know, you, you don't know the details behind it, but they've certainly publicly been saying, oh, it's a very, uh, you know, as as hamstring problems go, it's the best, you know, bad situation that it could be. And they seem confident that they will be able to get him fit. So he is in doubt, but I, I think they still have in mind that he'll be playing, if not the first test, then certainly from test two.
2: Yeah, it look, it'll be a big call to leave Wisman Quadra out of the squad. I think that... Um, It's easy to get caught up in how well Australia's played during the World Cup, but this is test cricket, and um, even with Smith and Warner coming back, there's not a whole lot of heavy-duty test players, and, um, you know, Usman's done well in in some big overseas tests before, so um, even if he does miss the first test, I'd I'd be having him in the squad
0: for sure. Yeah, but it's just uh, big to have him under an injury cloud going into the Ashes, Another player who's been injured, Sean Marsh, struck in the nets by Mitchell Stark, broke his arm. So he's replaced by Peter Hanscom. I guess uh, you guys expecting Hanscom to come in for the semi-final.
1: I would be shocked if he doesn't. Yeah, I think the natural, with Kawaja ruled out and, and Marsh not available, I think the natural uh, move is to put Smith at three, uh, and then have Hanscom coming in at four. Um, he's done nothing wrong. He was desperately unlucky to be left out of the the squad. I mean, if it had been a sixteen man squad, I think he would have been uh, on the plane. So I have no sort of qualms about him coming in and doing a job. Uh, yeah, and that's that's the natural sort of solution to it.
2: Yeah, I'm not hundred percent sure about that. I mean I, there's no doubt that Hanscom deserves his opportunity. He was desperately unlucky to miss the original squad. But you know, coming into this match at Headingley sorry, not Headingley, um Edge Baston. It's gonna yeah, you know, it's gonna be high scoring. It's really gonna suit England's power hitting. I, I think Matt Wade has to play. And um if if you were looking at it I would put Wade it, it, obviously it would leave them short without a bowler, but um yeah, I'd I'd be looking at Wade and Hanscom before Marsh, but even possibly getting all three in. I I, I don't see why you couldn't have th- three changes. I actually think those three players might improve Australia's chances of winning the match. That's a huge
1: call. I'd, yeah, I would put a slight asterisk um, next to Wade. I know I, I know he's done some some fantastic things and he's in you know career form at the moment. But that career form has been in sort of. Uh, Long form cricket uh, in the Sheffield Shield, where he's you know he's done nothing wrong. He's banging down the door and and certainly made his case for Ashes uh, inclusion. The Australia A tour has been against some pretty ropey uh, sort of second and even third eleven teams, and you know I, I would sort of take with a pinch of salt. The numbers that are coming out of that. I mean, Wade's you know, you can only hit what's in front of you and he's been doing it and fair play to him for that. But they've they have faced a really low level standard of bowler there. And so for him to come into a World Cup uh, match at the level that it's going to be at and the, the quality of bowlers he's going to be facing... He may well do do a wonderful job, but I don't think there's any guarantees based on, you know, the form that has put him in the Ashes conversation it doesn't necessarily translate into a World Cup uh, form. So I would sort of go a little bit gentle on, on sort of pushing Wade forward as a sort of solution.
2: He, that well, that's true that, you know, the, the level is going to be huge. And, and, you know, add into that that it's a semi-final. But the word out of the the camp over at Australia A is that Matt Wade in the nets is and I know again it's just the nets, but he he's just not missing anything. Like apparently his um, the way he's seeing and hitting the ball at the moment is you know sort of like Steve Smith and Dave Warner esque. So he I think he is in rare form. Like I think he is in career best form. No doubt it's a risk. I mean coming into a semi final and and bringing a couple of guys in who haven't been part of the squad. Who knows what could happen? But that's the situation they're in. And I I think Matt Wade putting him at three, um, following the England model of just going hard early, I I think with, with then with the insurance policy of Steve Smith and maybe Hanscom to come after that, I think
0: that can work yeah it's a good call if wade came in at three it's sort of a like for like there kawaja missing out wade coming in you can't forget though wade also can bowl these little dibbly dobbly medium paces Uh, i've seen him bowl in shield cricket before they're not that bad i mean there's there's almost nothing matt wade can do can't do so yeah crazy (laughs) stuff uh all right so since the last podcast australia lost to south africa by 10 runs, finishing second on the World Cup ladder after the round-robin stage. Nathan Lyon, 2 for 53, was probably the best of the bowlers in that game. David Warren, 120 through, his third ton for the World Cup. Alex Carey, a very slick 85. And uh, Mitchell Stark has now gone to 26 wickets for this World Cup, equal with Glenn McGrath on the all-time record for wickets in, in a World Cup. Steve, I'll start with you on this one. I don't think that's actually such a bad loss for Australia in terms of the performance. Okay, now we have to face England. But I think generally it wasn't such a bad loss.
1: I mean, yeah, getting a workout where you, in in a match that it didn't matter that you lost, where you had to chase, you know, ultimately unsuccessfully, but it it gave them a run out of sort of, uh, you know, having some immediate experience of what to do in those pressure situations should, um, you know, uh, Finch lose the toss in the semi-final and maybe the final uh, so in terms of giving them a run out in that regard it was I can see what you're saying and they they actually ran them pretty close I mean Aust- South Africa were always winning that match but Australia made more of a match of it than I think most teams would have done under that sort of level of pressure so there were sort of positives and things to take out of that but I don't think that offsets the negative of missing out on having New Zealand uh, in a semi-final and then potentially, you know, England England or India in the final. I think that would have been a much more comfortable route. There's no reason why Australia can't go through and win these two matches and and lift the trophy. But I think it's because of that defeat, it has become a little bit more pressure and a little bit more difficult. And so in that regards, I wouldn't say it was, you know, a decent one to lose or one that didn't have any impact because it has.
2: Yeah, look, they haven't... um... Yeah, they, they, they haven't had a match yet where they haven't competed, have they? I mean, even when they lost to India and they were nowhere near beating India, but they still posted 300 plus. So, there's the, the batting is very reliable. So, yeah, I agree with everything Steve just said. I mean, I think that um, I think that confidence-wise, it's all still there, all that kind of thing. But the difference between basically getting a free pass through New Zealand or playing England at a ground that suits England more than any other yep. venue, it, it's just... Yeah, it just changes the equation. It doesn't mean Australia can't win, but uh, you know it's it's really changed the um, I guess the road they had to, to glory. But um, I mean, so much seems to be coming down to the toss. Like if if you reverse that game against South Africa and Australia bat first and make three fifteen. I'd say they would have won the game. I mean... Oh, comfortably, yeah. And and that's the difference, you know, and it's it's bizarre that it comes down to that. But um, if Australia bat first and make 300-plus, as as good and as capable as England are, it's a World Cup semi-final. It only takes a wicket or two, and, you know, it's, it's a different kind of pressure than they would have felt over the last four years. Yeah. Jeez, we're
0: giving the Kiwis a fair sledge here, aren't we? I,
2: they're, they're, I mean, I cannot see how they can beat India. I mean... Their bowling attack is good. I mean, if they had another batsman or two, they, they'd be well in it. But they're basically a good bowling attack with um with with, with Kane Williamson. I mean, the only <laughs> yeah, way the Kiwis
0: that. could beat the Indians is if it's cloudy, it's it's muggy. The Indian, I mean, it's cloudy. There's a bit of humidity. The ball's hooping around, and and sure. Bolt has a, a day for the ages and knocks yeah. over the yeah. Indian top to,
1: order. Yeah, they have to win the toss first and foremost. Yeah. I think if they lose the toss, then it, it's, you know, it's, it's a good night Vienna. But if they win the toss and, and bat first and manage to put some sort of defendable total on there, then, yeah, World Cup pressure, even India, they're not infallible. If it's a half-decent total that they can get on there, if Williamson can put 150 on and enough go with him, then that, that's their route to doing it. But you make them sort of huge outsiders there for that. They've, they've, they've limped into it and sort of almost snuck in through the back door and have done nothing. I mean, what, in what other competition, in what other sport, would a team come off three really heavy defeats and then get a semi-final as a reward? I don't know. They've been yeah. enormously fortunate.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think their game against Australia pretty much sums them up. I mean, they bowled really well against Australia, bowled them out for 240. I mean, like, if they had a half-decent batting lineup, they would have cruised to victory in that game, but they were all out for, what, 170 or something. So I think that 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 sums New Zealand up. I mean, Trent Bolt's certainly capable of giving him a look, but I I don't think they've got the batting to back him up.
0: So India take on the Kiwis at Old Trafford, Australia take on England at Edgbaston, and there is some... I guess some historical significance. 20 years ago, Australia played a World Cup semi-final at the same ground against South Africa. And we're still talking about that game 20 years later. I just have a sneaky suspicion that we could be talking about this game in 20 years' time. Maybe it'll be a tie, but I think it'll be pretty memorable. Uh, There are a few questions for the Aussies. Do you think Berendorf's locked in as that third quick?
1: I I think so, yeah. I think he's done enough. I mean, to a slight degree... He's not being pressured by the others. It's not like there's a really compelling reason to, to remove him. He, he's done enough and he's, he's had a couple of games where he's played excellently. I don't see what would be gained from dropping him and bringing in uh, Richardson or um, Colton Nile. I don't think they're going to add anything or there's any particular element in the pitch that's going to make them a better choice than him. So I don't see why they would break up that winning team. Yeah. Oh, element of
0: it. And what a, what a stunning um, change in Australia's attitude to the spin bowlers. I mean, two months ago, Zampa was locked in almost as the number one spinner and now Lyon's overtaken him. What do you think the reasoning behind that is, Ben?
2: Well, to be honest, I think it's it's, it's summed up how they've uh, their attitude to spinners over the last four years that they have just chopped and changed. I mean, what's happened in this World Cup is exactly what's happened over the last four years that... Zampa will play one series, Lyon will play the next one. Zampa will play the next one. I mean, they haven't been able to settle on it, and then you get a situation where you're chopping and changing in the middle of a World Cup. But I think they have fallen on their feet. Nathan Lyon seems like he's um he's the man for the job, so he's he's picked it up well. But I do feel sorry for Adam Zampa because I think he's been chopped and changed, you know, a lot. And I'm not just saying just in this World Cup, but I I think he probably. Would, should feel that he's you know, been a bit hard done by in terms of how much of a run he's been given at it over the last couple of years. Um, but, you know, look, I can't blame Australia for sticking with what they perceive as their strength, which is fast bowling. I mean, a lot of people thought they'd play two spinners, but I think fast bowling is, is the key to their victory. Oh, Berendorf's been great, and um, after that, Lord's performance I mean it's hard to argue with um, him being in the side but this is the period of the tournament where I thought when the decision was made that they would miss Josh Hazelwood even if he's not in the 11 I mean I just think like there, there, there you would have an option like he's a heavy duty international player it's a knockout semi-final you know it's too late now but I, I just think um as Steve said like I, I just don't think you can even consider Ctenile or or Richardson but um I'm not sure that's exactly great news. I mean, I I think Hazelwood in the squad would have created that pressure that, you know, maybe would have made a decision out of it.
0: So Australia hasn't won a cricket match at Edgbaston in any format since 2001. We've talked about the the toss being crucial but I guess in in some ways both teams are a mirror image of each other in that both teams will feel if they can knock over the openers and get into the middle order, they're a chance. So, you know, Finch and Warner have been immense for Australia, Bairstow and Roy for England, Root as well a little bit. But both teams will feel if they can just get a couple of early wickets, they're right in the contest.
1: I mean, that's yeah, it's the blueprint that sort of emerged from this uh, uh, this tournament. That's it. You you set a platform if you've got two up top who can get through, you know, the first 10, 12 overs um, or first 15 overs, one down, something like that and you're a half-decent team, and these two teams are better than half-decent, if you can get to that platform position and then go on, that is the blueprint for for winning it. If you bat first and then come out, scoreboard pressure, get rid of one or both of those openers of the opposition and break into that middle order. I mean, it's the same with India as well, you know. So the th- the three standout teams uh, who one of the three are going to win the thing, they have exactly the same setup whereby they're very, very dependent upon two up top who are having great tournaments. But if they do get tripped up early enough, that's that's the route to beating them.
0: Rohit is doing two both yeah. <laughs> roles, five centuries. Pasharma's just incredible. Yeah. Incredible.
2: Yeah, oh, it is a, it's an amazing record. Um, I mean, I think India's balance has been thrown off by losing Sheikha Darwin. Yeah. Like, he's been a huge loss, and they sort of stumbled with a few games there, making low scores against Afghanistan and a couple of teams. So, um, But they've got Virat Kohli, so <laughs> um, India's in a pretty good place, I think. But, um, yeah, it's been... Uh, it, it, I mean, that is... You've essentially summed up what the key is to the to the semi-final, um, if Bairstow and Roy can put on best part of 100, it's hard to see England um, getting getting stopped from there, to be honest. Yeah, but, and
0: um, it, it might also come down to, you know, if Wokes, Wood and Archer have a great day, and Stark, Berendorf and Cummins are a bit, a bit short of a gallop, then that could be the difference
2: how are we what are we expecting from the conditions in Edge baston in terms of what the pitch might do
1: well the, the the big news is that there's a there's an outside chance that the whole thing's going to be rained out and then australia go through to the final without a ball being oh, bowled be so good <laughs> yeah, a, so it, a, lot, a lot of two days of rain uh, a lot of laughter on the desk this morning as we were looking at the the weather charts yeah so they they, they, they so the we- there's one reserve day there's one reserve day uh, but so and if they do find any window it's, it's, as long as they've done 20 overs each, then it qualifies as a match. So they've got to get 40 overs in two days of play. But the weather forecast is pretty ropey for Thursday and Friday <laughs> around Birmingham. So there is, it, it's unlikely still, but there is an outside chance that uh, we have two days of watching people sat in stands with umbrellas <laughs> up. And then at the end of it, Australia in the final. So, yeah, watch the space. I'll
0: take up. it. Honestly, I'd take it.
1: Can they be ready to play at 3 a.m. in the morning? Yeah, or yeah, what's I'm, the... Not, <laughs> I'm not sure what the time It, it stays light pretty late in England at this time of the year, so maybe they'll be playing at 11 (laughs) o'clock. All
0: right, so just before we move on, prediction time. I'm going Australia to win. Steve? Um, I'm going to
1: shock you and say I think, (laughs) uh, excuse me, England will just get over the line in this one.
0: Benny? Yeah, look, I'll I'll stick with Australia. Okay, so before we move on, just want to look at the World Cup (coughs) ladder quickly, uh, how it finished up. So India on top, Australia second, England third, New Zealand fourth. Pakistan just pipped on net run rate and they had that horrendous defeat to the West Indies to open their campaign, which has really cost them in the end. And then Sri Lanka, uh, six, pretty good considering they were probably the least favoured team coming into the tournament. Then South Africa, Bangladesh on seven points, West Indies five, and Afghanistan winless. What's your big takeaway from the latter, Steve?
1: I just feel heartbroken for Pakistan and their fantastic fans in this. I think they've essentially been robbed. If you... I have no problem with net run rate. It's 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 a very very difficult concept in uh, cricket to come up with a formula that accurately reflects you know the the relative merits of each teams when they're on the same points and it's a I'll, it's an equation that I'll confess I don't know the sort of absolute workings of but it, as far as it goes it's a reasonable shot at it but when two teams in a round-robin tournament where everyone's played each other finish on the same points surely it makes sense if you're looking for a way to split two teams on the same points Head to head. look at the match they've played there's been a very clear and very obvious way of assessing which one should be going through if they're level and pakistan did a job on new zealand and beat them sort of quite comfortably or, or or in really good style and i think that ought to be the deciding factor, and it ought to be Pakistan who are in the uh, are in the semi-finals, and I think they can feel very, very hard done by by that.
2: And w- what a semi-final it would have been! Mm-hmm. I mean, India versus Pakistan, Australia versus England—like that—that would have been unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, what's your uh, takeaway? Well, the I agree with what Steve's saying, but you can't like Pakistan as usual. Really, can't blame anyone but themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've they should have beaten Australia. Yeah, as you said, they got spanked by the West Indies. Um, it's just it's just those those little areas that they just miss. But uh, they would have certainly been much more of a dark horse in the semis than what New Zealand are going to be. Absolutely,
1: and their fans as well. I mean, one of the the sort of big takeaways, even looking from the TV from over here, but speaking to our people are over there, it's the, the the fans from the Asian countries. You know living in the UK have just brought so much colour and noise to it. You know, the Bangladeshis, the Indians, the Afghans to a degree, but even within that uh, group, it's the Pakistan fans who've made the most noise. I mean, that match against New Zealand, the noise was just sort of Hmm. coming through the speakers on your TV, and that was coming off, they'd had some pretty bad, you know, beatings before that, and had every right to sort of go in with a bit of trepidation, but they were making noise from ball one and uh, raised their team, and I just thought, yeah, that they, not necessarily the pakistan team but the pakistan fans deserve to have their team in the semi-final
2: for this one so what's going on with with mickey arthur has he been sacked or that's just no
1: confirmation that he was being very coy in the press conference that i saw so i don't think there's been a a i mean
2: i guess you know nothing can last forever and he's been doing it for a few years now but can they do better than mickey i mean i think he's done a very good job with with that side and um you know they won the champions trophy two years ago Probably, yeah, it certainly wasn't his fault. They didn't make the semis no, here. They didn't, no. yeah, anything but get there. So, um, I think he's been he's been very good for them, and um, absolutely. And
1: you need to have a certain temperament to be able to manage in mm. in that job. You know the the, mm. the pressures and the tensions around it. And I think, you know, I know. In Australia, he wasn't that well regarded because he was kind of a, a little bit of a sort of administrative coach and a bit of a clipboard coach and all that sort of stuff. But I think he brings that calm to the chaos of mm. Pakistan and it's a nice combination. So mm. I think they'll be well served by hanging on to him. But I, yeah, mm. who, who knows which way they're going to
0: go. Yeah, my big takeaway is uh, Afghanistan, zero wins, nine games. Big disappointment. I had them tipped to make the semifinals and they just fell a little short.
1: Right, <laughs> I, I think no, it, was, it was a real disappointment, and it was. It was. A, we've talked about this on the pod before. Like it was, it was a story we wanted to happen. Them to knock over a couple of big teams, but I think the, you know their bowling was pretty good. Their batting, you know, needs some work. But what really let them down was their fielding. It was really, really decidedly average stuff, and you know they can. That's something that they can work on. That's something they can get better at. And I think in all facets, whilst they've taken a bit of a bloody nose in this, I think they'll be better for it if they treat it in the right way and take lessons from it and, you know, next time come back stronger.
0: And a team like this just can't afford any backroom shenanigans. And the the team hasn't been completely together this whole World Cup. All right, we are going to take a quick break on the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. Just want to remind you, if you want to find the show on social media, it's on Twitter at Oz Cricket Pod, Aus Cricket Pod. You can find it on Instagram at Oz Cricket Pod as well. And if you want to keep up with all the sort of cricket news coming out of News Corp, go on and find at News Corp Cricket, and uh, just to. Let you know the best way to listen to this podcast is subscribe on a podcast app or on Spotify. Coming up after the break, the headlines brought to you by the Daily Telegraph.
2: Well, our thoughts are are pretty clear and they've been steadfast for a period of time now. Uh, We're totally opposed to a drop-in wicket at the Sydney Cricket Ground. Uh, It's called the Sydney Cricket Ground for a reason. Cricket is a major tenant. It's been there for over 100 years. And uh, the quintessential nature of the Sydney Cricket Ground is one that lends itself to long-form cricket. So we're totally opposed to this suggestion.
0: That was the CEO of New South Wales Cricket, Lee Jemon speaking about a, a committee that has been formed to look at uh, putting a drop-in pitch at the SCG. And let's get straight into the headlines, brought to you by the Daily Telegraph. I've got the man who broke the story, Ben Horn, here. So, Ben, uh, what's really come out of this for me is not only that they're looking at a drop-in, but they've managed to kind of cover it up, that this has been going on for a couple of months and members of the SCG haven't been informed. Uh, I mean, this is is huge news. Yeah,
2: I think given the commentary that has been around this year about the playing surface and the Sydney Swans made some comments earlier in the year that they would like to see a drop-in pitch. So, look, there has been a bit of talk about it this year and... Based on that, I think it is a bit surprising that they haven't um, kept the members in the loop that they're going ahead with this. I mean, look, it's it's just a committee at this point. You know, there's no reason to believe that that will lead to uh, a drop in wicket, but I think it's a significant enough step that um, you know that it's even being considered to that kind of official level that it um, yeah, probably would have been worth informing the the members. But yeah, look, it's what it's shown is just that you know it, it it's a very very polarizing debate and um you know the the majority of the scg members are there For the cricket, so it's um, hard to see how they're going to
0: take kindly to it. I'm thinking of protest action. Uh, You summed it up really nicely, Ben. You said it's the first proof that the SCG Trust is seriously considering putting a future as a multi-purpose venue ahead of its traditional roots and also its international reputation as one of the most revered cricket grounds in the world. I've spent a lot of time at the SCG in the last six months. I know there's a lot of pressure on the ground there. It's really hard for the groundsmen to keep the ground uh, suitable for playing various sports on. So I do see there is an issue, but this period in particular, the SCG is under heavy use because they're renovating next door. Why you would consider ripping out the drop-in pitch after what we've seen in Melbourne is crazy. And the SCG has hi- hundreds of years of history built up why, well, not hundreds, but over 100 years of history on that pitch. Why you would rip it up for the Swans to be able to play a few AFL games? Just ridiculous.
2: Well, yeah, there's a few issues um, to consider. One is that, as you mentioned, the, the ground is getting a lot of traffic at the moment, but that's not going to continue indefinitely. I mean, for the next three years, that will be the case. But then Alliance will be built next door and all the rectangle sports, Rugby League and Rugby Union will go back to to playing there. And so maybe aside from the odd commemorative match of Rugby League or Rugby Union, it's going to be exclusively the Swans and cricket. So that's one thing that I think cricket people are frustrated at, that um, perhaps it's being looked at through the prism of what's happening right now. But by the time you actually grow a a drop-in wicket, um, the, the other the other state, yeah, because you can't. It'll take five years to to do it, even if they said gave the green light today. the 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 thing that's going against cricket is that the SCG pitch really like hasn't been anything to write home about now for a few years. I mean, the last pitch I can even remember being anything except benign was um, the Ashes whitewash in two thousand and thirteen, when it was a raging green seamer, and it was all over in two days. <laughs> And that I'm not just saying that that was necessarily a good good wicket, but um,
0: yeah. Look, it hasn't. You
2: know, the, the, the characteristics that people reminisce about with the SCG. But we pitch. have a new
0: groundsman mm. taking over at the SCG, so hopefully they can improve the pitch. Just because you might have had a few issues getting the pitch right doesn't mean you should just rip it out and, and take it away.
2: No, but it doesn't help the argument no. mm. when you know, like it, it, it. The MCG has been terrible, but Adelaide's but I, been okay. Look, yeah. But I don't think yeah, and I don't think the SCG is sort of really been hitting it out of the park in terms of the s- surface producing scintillating cricket over the last few years. So uh, all I'm saying is that's what's going against them. But um, as uh, Malcolm Knox wrote for uh, Fairfax the other day, that it really is more about the, you know, the emotional aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah than then, then the actual technical yeah. technicalities of it. Because we have seen in Adelaide and Perth that it is possible to get a drop-in wicket that does a serviceable job—that that's that is possible. But it's more. I think it's it's about more than that.
0: I just don't know why the Swans and Giants can't share an AFL ground somewhere. Say out at Spotless, they can just have that ground, and the Sydney Cricket Ground becomes a just the cricket ground. And they have to work at doing things that are more inventive to make revenue. Like in England, you look at Old Trafford; they built a hotel at one end to make it a viable economic business maybe the SCG trust needs to think outside the box rather than just rip out the pitch. I mean, <laughs> I'd stay I, at the hotel if there was one at the SCG. I
2: think, uh, yeah. I mean, the Swans pulling out of the SCG would be extremely bad for the SCG's bottom line. And, uh, I, I A think winter, that
0: winter, winter, big bash. Yeah.
2: Uh, I think, no, nah, I mean the Sydney Swans are, you know, one of the most successful sporting teams in the country and their crowds are excellent and it it's says a great News
0: Corp's newest AFL right
2: <laughs> <laughs> look i've never watched afl in my life before this year i'm not an afl supporter but they are a very successful club and it's a great atmosphere at the scg for the afl and you know it would be ridiculous um, you know for the scg to even consider punting them just for cricket but they have coexisted for a long time now in adelaide and perth there's two afl teams in adelaide the Sacker was basically broke, and the way to you know get this magnificent stadium they've got now was you know the drop-in pitch was part of the deal um, in Perth. You know the Wacker had fallen down; they've moved to this new stadium. So, this but the circumstances in Sydney are completely different. I mean, yes, there's some stands at the SCG that could be updated, but you know it's an iconic ground. The Swans are the only AFL team that play there. And uh, cricket is the biggest revenue earner at the SCG. So they're they're, they're the reasons why I think it would be a difficult one to get across the line.
0: Yeah. And and so what you're saying is AFL could go to another grant. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am a bit concerned. Well, they've
2: signed a 30-year deal at the SCG, so.
0: Okay. Just finally on that, I bought tickets to a U2 concert at the SCG in November Primarily. So you're contributing to the problem, then. Well, that's it. Yeah, I'm primarily yeah. just going to be in the centre, keeping people away from the yeah. square during the
1: concert. You're going to go there wearing slippers as Take well. Take those just heels so off, yeah, dig anything into the ground. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, so let's move on to the next headline. Well, if you woke up this morning, Elise Perry has destroyed the pommies in the women's ashes. She took seven for 22. It's the best figures by an Australian woman in one-day cricket. I'm not sure she's going to overtake the first figures in one day cricket by a woman. That's a Pakistani. Sajida Shah with seven for four. So um, that's going to take some beating. But yeah, Australia now have six points in the women's ashes. They only need to draw the test match to retain the urn. Just stunning performance. If you got any sort of Adjectives or words to describe Elise Perry now, Steve, or have you used them all?
1: Oh, yeah, he used them all. That's stupendous. I mean, absolutely incredible performance. I mean, an all round team performance in this one. I mean, England have just been absolutely routed. They came into the 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 series full of confidence, obviously, home conditions. And the first ODI was relatively competitive, even though Australia won. But since then, just the, the, the bowling strength that Australia have, not just with Elise Perry, but across the board, has just been far too hot for England to handle. And I would listen to mm. Heather Knight speaking, the, the England captain today, and she was just absolutely shell-shocked. She had no uh, idea of how to sort of pick the team up, but she's going to have to because just to keep the series alive and to make it interesting, it probably as much as Australians would want to do the clean sweep I mean just to keep it exciting and, and, and interesting, it would be a benefit for England to win that test and, and and make more of a contest of it but Australia are just too good at the moment I mean they're just head and shoulders above everything else in the world and, and it's great for Australian cricket but there is a worry that if women's cricket isn't competitive, then, you know, Australia need other teams to come up and, and challenge them to, to, to keep it vibrant.
2: It, it's a huge endorsement for the women's big bash, isn't it? Mm. Because uh, you'd have to think that that's a significant factor, the, the rising standard in that competition. Mm. And, um, yeah, it's a bit of a challenge to England now to, uh, you know, to perhaps improve the domestic standard of cricket over there. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm sure that's not the sole problem. I mean, least Perry's a once-in-a-generation cricketer, but... Yeah, Australia, I think, has set the standard in terms of uh, you know women's cricket and professionalism. So um, it would be up to England to, to follow.
0: So next up, Australia play the Ashes Test, July 18th, being played at Canterbury in Kent. So as I said, Australia just need to draw that. And they drew the last uh, test in North Sydney Oval. They won four years ago at the same venue. So good memories for Australians. And I'm going to be speaking to News Corp's uh, Women's Ashes reporter, Selena Steele, around that test match. So stay tuned for that. And the final headline, and this is a headline that I can't tell you how happy I was when I read this. When I saw this... It was like every dream of mine coming true. It was almost like the Ashes had been won already. So I woke up to the news that Steve War will be replacing Ricky Ponting as uh, Justin Langer's basically assistant for the Ashes. I mean, I mean can you imagine, like, the, the signals that's going to send England to have Langer and Steve War on the Lord's Balcony plotting England's downfall? I mean, it's done. It's over. The Ashes are ours.
1: <laughs> well, I wasn't sure where Can you were going. With you. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I, don't, I, I wasn't sure where you were going with that. I thought you were going to uh, be drooling over uh, James Pattinson being in the wickets <laughs> in the in the A match there, which is probably more of a concern to uh, England fans than who's in the in the dugout. Although I do understand, yeah, if anyone knows about. Uh, how to go about winning uh, uh, an Asher series in the UK. He's 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 got a lot of information to draw on, but it's still going to be a task for them. I mean, it's a long time since Australia have, have, have prospered over there in the men's game. Um, but yeah, anything that can help you, I mean, get excited
2: about it. The, th- the thing I'm intrigued about, and maybe it will end up being not a factor at all, but what happens from here on out in the World Cup and what impact that has on the start of the Ashes is interesting to me. If Australia knock England out of the semis that that is that'll be devastating for England and their supporters and you know Australia then has a chance to go and win the tournament. You know how much of a hangover from that is there when the first test starts? vice versa. If England Steamrolls Australia goes on to win their first ever World Cup that, that that's some serious momentum I would suggest. Perhaps the most even scenario is that um, the team that, that wins the semi-final loses to India in the final and everyone's upset. But I'm uh, intrigued. Yeah, I am not you being a
0: huge uh, mm. deciding uh, factor in the Ashes. When they get to that first Ashes test, there'll be so many different players. I, I don't think the result in the World Cup will play into it, but I do think the, the injuries that come out of the World Cup could play a big impact. You know, we've already lost Kawaja I mean, Say we were to lose Stark or Warner or Smith to an injury in the World Cup. I think that's probably the big effect.
1: That will be a big effect, but I I disagree and I endorse what Ben was saying. That I think the psychological impact of this is going to be so huge. I mean, particularly on on the English side, depending on whether they're coming off the back of winning their first ever World Cup. I mean,
0: you,
1: you can't overstate how much sort of energy and time, emotional energy and money and has been sort of ploughed into this aim of winning this World Cup. This has been so much focus on this. So if they win it, I don't know if that will have a huge sort of knock-on into the Ashes whereby they go in there pumped up because there's a change of players and whatever. But if Australia absolutely put them to the sword in the semi-finals, that is just going to have... The lead into the Ashes is going to be two or three weeks of just absolute self-flagellation and hand-wringing and you know, calls for change and this, that, and the other. And it will really impede the start to the Ashes for England. And once you get off to a bad start, then you know that can just build on and build on and build on. Um, so I think if England don't win the World Cup, that will have a huge bearing on how they approach the Ashes. But obviously, yeah, the players uh, being in casualty wards and in hospital is going to change the makeup of it. But there's people to come in for both sides.
0: Yeah, Jimmy Anderson under yeah. an injury cloud. Okay, so uh, that's it for the cricket headlines. We'll take our final break. I just want to remind you to keep up with all the action this week. It's a huge week at au. There's cricket. There's other sports as well happening. It's just going to be massive. So go to the dailytelegraph.com.au. And for all the cricket action, you can find me on Twitter at Ameners. Where can they find you on Twitter, Steve, this week oh, Steve. when England loses? <laughs> well, I,
1: I not me personally, but you can go to News Corp Cricket, at News Corp Cricket on Twitter, and you can, you can reach me there.
2: And what about you, Benny? Ben Horn 8, I think. don't usually tweet myself, but, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll be watching. I haven't been tweeting much, but uh, I'm watching.
1: For any, for any listeners who do want to treat and to have a smile, uh, Ben Horn does have the best uh, picture of anyone I know on Twitter at the moment. You have to go there and have a look for yourself
0: <laughs> to find out why. All right, coming up after the break, reviews and listener mail. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered Podcast. Men as Ben and Steve here. And look, I just want to thank all the listeners. There's been lots of great reviews and uh, emails coming in. Lovely review from Shelley from Tasmania who says that, I would love to be over in the UK watching uh, the World Cup live. She's probably true. Uh, any uh, envy here about not being there?
2: Um, oh, a little bit. I mean, yeah. How's prob- Sam doing? Probably kick in more when the ashes start. How's Sam doing, Ben? Um uh, <laughs> think he's all right what do you mean in terms of
0: well you know sam landsberg a gun world cup reporter how have you made his how, what have you made of him
2: oh i think he's done a great job so do i yeah, yeah. excellent yeah.
1: working incredibly hard and is available at all hours so uh yeah no complaints <laughs> yeah. he does
0: provide good audio he's, he's a little bit prickly in press conferences or uh he makes them the langer a little bit prickly uh jeff riley jeff riley um who leaves reviews quite often, says that this podcast is at the top of the Australian tree for its all-round coverage. Also got Cricket Tragic left a nice review. And uh M. Luke says that his scepticism about the podcast is finally refuted. Well, that's good to hear. Quality banter and a must-follow on social media too. Lovely stuff. Thanks for all those people that did leave reviews. If you have a moment, please go on to iTunes or whatever app, you listen to the show and leave a review. Now, lots of lovely um, listener mail this week. Got a nice email from Sam Perry. Thanks for writing in. Got a lovely email from a South African living in the States, Stephen Jacobson. And he uh, said he enjoyed uh, Crash's, Robert Craddock's interview uh, from a few weeks ago. Crash is always good. Now, the the final email, and this is one I want to um, tackle with you guys, a, a big point to finish. Ari Carr has written in an essay, and I'm just going to pull the main question from it is he's wondering if we would start to question Tim Payne's spot in the Australian side with Wade and Carey in particular putting pressure on. I
1: don't, I don't. think so. I don't think that's something that's up for debate. I understand that everyone's getting excited and rightly so about um, uh, Wade and Carey's batting in in you know, different circumstances, but they've both been uh, incredible in their in their own ways. But in terms of Tim Payne's leadership and the job that he's done, in well, you know what we must remember is an incredibly difficult last eighteen months for Australian cricket and how he's managed to. Drag Australia out of a very dark place through his, you know, his good nature and also his, you know, in, in cricket intelligence on the field. He's still a very competent wicketkeeper. I would say probably a better wicketkeeper than either Wade or Carey. But Carey may get better in, in in time, but at the moment he's the number one pick. His batting, yes, you could argue that Carey and, and Wade are more compelling, but for the leadership and his reliability behind the pegs, I don't think he's going any time soon.
2: Totally agree. I think Wade's future. Is as a batsman. Um, I don't think he'll ever be uh, keeping for Australia again. But I certainly think he's, yeah, he deserves, he deserves a massive look in for the Ashes squad. I mean, I know there's a lot of players gunning for spots, but I would be getting Matt Wade in there, and yeah, Alex Carey. Um, you know, he's he's a future potential future captain of the One Day side, and he's clearly an outstanding white ball cricketer, but. Um, I think his shield record and yeah, just his glove work would suggest that he's got some work to do there before he's um, there. That's not to say, though, that he shouldn't be in the Ashes squad. I mean, I think the Ashes' number two keeper position has traditionally been a great uh, learning curve for the um, you know the, the apprentice and the, the future keeper. So I'm not saying Alex Carey shouldn't be in the Ashes squad, but um, uh, unless there's an injury, Tim Payne will be untouched for the Ashes in the foreseeable future.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I think one thing that Sandpaper Gate displayed is the importance of having a good captain, and that's what Tim Payne brings to this side. I mean, who would be captain if Tim Payne was, say, broke a finger and would be ruled out the first Ashes Test? Australia would be scrambling to think who could be the captain. You know, you've got Smith and mm. Warner, who are inel- ineligible. So you'd be yep. looking at bringing in a, a fairly inexperienced captain.
2: But also, like... It's so easy to judge the wikikeeper on their batting and obviously it's a huge bonus if you've if you're Brad Harden or you're Adam Gilchrist and you can do both exceptionally well. but is Australia's problem really that their number seven can't score runs? <laughs> I mean, like, it's the it's the six above that's the issue. And until they get that right, and then if Tim Payne's struggling, maybe look at his position then. But, you know, they've got to find six batsmen who can, you know, set up the innings rather than worry about what the number seven's doing. So, I don't think... I mean, we're talking about it now, but I would be surprised if this has even been mentioned by anyone in Australian cricket because I think Tim Payne is as, as assured as you could ever be.
0: It is interesting, though, that on social media and things, you do get a few comments about Payne. It's not unusual for people to question his spot because he only has one first-class century in his whole career and uh, it, it is a bit of a bolt from mm. the blue when he was picked and, you know, you look at Wade and Kerry and you wonder why Paid's, Payne's well, pick, privileged. Well, pick Wade at six and b- yeah, play agree, him as a yeah. batsman.
2: I mean, you know, if, yeah, it looked, Tim Payne's batting is not going to be the deciding factor. And look, he's been ashes. a
0: good batsman since recalled to the side. It's probably only in the series against India well, Payne didn't make it yeah, I think he's scores. very
2: solid. He yeah. just doesn't, yeah, you know, he, he doesn't sort of move the scoreboard on quickly, but I mean he's invariably there as you know with the tail and you know bats with the tail very well. So, yeah, I, I just don't think there's any concern there at all. And, and you, you know the leadership that he and Aaron Finch have shown. I mean Australia, it's it's just incredible how they've landed on their feet with those two guys. And um, you know it have been very very astute appointments by um, by the coach and the selectors.
0: Well, thanks for that email, Ari, and thanks for all the emails. It's great to hear from the listeners. I guess we should wrap up this podcast, guys. Uh, I'll be speaking to Sam Landsberger after the semi final. We'll either be cock a hoop preparing for a final or I'll be glum and depressed. So, yeah, we'll see. Steve, thanks for coming in.
1: No, thanks as always. Appreciate the invite.
0: Enjoy Thursday.
1: Uh, I'll try to, yeah. Will you be up all night watching it? I'll be it? up all night, uh, yeah. So, if anyone wants to join me in my sort of lonely, uh, uh, time in the office you can follow our live blog through until the early hours of the morning and we'll just p- pray there isn't any rain.
0: So that live blog is at dailytelegraph.com.au? Yeah, um, or,
1: or whatever masthead you use, the Adelaide Advertiser, the Herald, Herald Sun, or the mail. Courier
0: Mail. And Benny, uh, what's on for you now? Watching the cricket? Yeah,
2: absolutely. I'll be, uh, you know, I've watched most of the matches and um, I'll certainly be um, putting in the hours for the semi and the final, that's for sure. So very much looking forward to it. I think it's been overall a very good tournament. And, um, yeah, not sure about the format. Like, I did love the idea of quarterfinals. Like, I, I like the knockout games. But, you know, it, it, this, this World Cup, thanks to Sri Lanka beating England, has kept things bubbling away till the end. So it's been good.
0: Well, listeners, that's it for this episode of Cricket Unfiltered. I've been your host, Andrew Mentzel. You've been listening to the quick and unfiltered podcast brought to you by news corp back soon with another show